Welcome to the Hot Topics in EMS podcast. I'm Battalion Chief Ben Kaufman in Montgomery County, Maryland, and today we're going to be talking about uh, pharmacology and cardiac arrest. Um, we're going to take a little bit different approach today. I'm joined by the QA Captain, Wes Shipley. Hi, Wes. Hey, how's it going, everybody? And he's going to take the lead and introduce the other people who are on today. Go ahead. Thanks, Chief. Uh, joining me today, I have uh, Captain Nick Wagner, who is the Quality Improvement Officer for Montgomery County Fire and Rescue. How's it going today, Nick? I'm doing well. Thanks for having us. All right. And joining us for today's discussion, we're pleased to welcome Master Firefighter Paramedic Sam Weinstock. Sam, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So thanks to everyone. Uh, as we dive into some cardiac arrest pharmacology, we have a lot of great information to go over today uh, for our listeners. We want some additional information on the topics that we cover. We'll be sure to link the research and other relevant articles in the episode notes listed below this podcast. Um, before we get into the topic, Sam, can you tell me a little bit about the work that you do as it relates to your current assignment and how this topic came to be? Sure. So right now I'm detailed to the training academy, uh, mainly for the paramedic program, but also other things, ALS. And this is something I've kind of been preaching to the medic students for the last year and a half, two years um, about pharmacology and cardiac arrest other than epi and amiodarone. And we have to have an indication to give something, but also why are we giving it? So the medic students are or have been taught this topic and I've added to it. And I would like to share that information with everybody else uh, from what's changed uh, over the past couple of decades. Perfect. I appreciate it. And thank you for the efforts that you do to get those new medic students uh, on the straight and narrow as it relates to indications, contraindications for those medications that we give during cardiac arrest. In recent years, uh, Montgomery County Fire and Rescue, as well as um, Maryland in general through the protocol, has gone through some pretty significant changes in the way that we approach cardiac arrests, uh, as well as how they're managed. Whether those changes are driven by protocol or us as an organization, it can sometimes be hard to keep track of what is and what is not appropriate care during cardiac arrest. So let's get started with a medication that many in the field are eager to administer when an opioid overdose is suspected during a cardiac arrest scenario, Narcan. So Narcan or naloxone, um, very widely known medication uh, that's just given, uh, even as a trial like it, let's just give it because we can. Uh, when actually there could be harm to it uh, in cardiac arrest. So it's not recommended for a healthcare clinician, right, pre-hospital, hospital, hospital uh, to administer to a patient in cardiac arrest. This is taught to the layperson because they can't medically perform a good assessment and they have difficulty obtaining a pulse or breathing. So they are taught to just give it regardless if they're conscious, unconscious, altered, pulseless, have a pulse because they are not trained how we are. So the big thing, and this has been proven time and time again, and it's kind of just a hot topic uh, on social media, on medical forearms, discussions, so on and so forth, uh, standard resuscitation measures need to be the priority for cardiac arrest. So the first thing is, you know, hands on the chest, CPR, right? BLS airway management, uh, OPAs, MPAs, high flow nasal, BVM with oxygen, and then defibrillation as needed. So with these opioid overdoses, right, the underlying cause is hypoxia and hypercarbia associated with CNS depression. So right there, you've already solved for your H's and T's according to the uh, ACLS algorithm. So we just need to focus on the good standard resuscitation. And even if someone is alive, 
if they are not breathing adequately, right, we are going to give them oxygen and breathe for them to help correct that hypoxia and hypercarbia. So empiric use does not improve oxygenation or ventilatory drive in a pulseless patient. So any medication minus uh, adenosine takes time to work. And it takes time to work when someone is perfusing, let alone when they're in a low perfusing state. So evidence for benefit patients who went into cardiac arrest with Narcan is not compelling. There's little to no evidence that has any impact on achieving ROSC and improved neurological outcomes. Again, you're already managing with compressions and BOS airway management. So several studies show opiates uh, can have neuroprotective properties in cardiac arrest. And then with this, if we were to get ROSC, there's always negative side effects of any medication. And Narcan's kind of been one of those over the last few years where it's like, no, no, it's super safe. And there's actually side effects. So we can induce vomiting, right? That can lead to an airway issue uh, when giving. You can have withdrawal shivering. That increases oxygen demand. It's rare, but there's actually uh, reports that you can put them into VFib or VTAC secondary to withdrawal in an already irritated hypoxic heart. So not only did these patients arrest, now you have ROSC, they have a very sick heart. They do recommend, since it's rare, that you can consider small titratable doses for Narcan. But honestly, if you're managing their airway, BLS to ALS, there's no need for it. Um, according to an NIH study uh, with substantial data indicating Narcan can actually induce VFib in ROSC patients, again, going back to uh, already irritated heart, and that the heart is already extremely irritated because it's hypoxic uh, and injured. It's just kind of like putting gasoline on fire. We also know, if you haven't already seen it, but Narcan can cause uh, flash pulmonary edema. So now you have a whole nother airway breathing emergency on your hand. And then having ROSC, having a patient that's intubated, or if they get RSI in the ED, right now we have potentially difficulty in sedating these patients. I appreciate it. Uh, so the papers and the articles that you reference are what was utilized uh, to create the first Office of Medical Oversight Clinical Practice Guideline in July of 2021 that outlined the reasons why we shouldn't be giving uh, naloxone during cardiac arrest and should be very cautious giving it during ROSC. So that's how those two things tie into one another. Hey, Sam, I want to highlight something you said because I really hadn't considered this uh in the, in the context of Narcan and arrest, but the neuroprotective properties of the opiates in arrest, right? Um, mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit more about that or where you where you got that from? Sure. So neuroprotection from opiates is not due to poisoning. Um, these were in therapeutic dose ranges. So unfortunately, there's no direct study uh, that this is specific to, but ischemia was not necessarily due to opioid poisoning. A retrospective analysis of neonates treated with analgesia was associated with improved MRI findings and long-term neurological outcomes. So long-term use can cause injury through hypoxia, uh, but it's been shown to be neuroprotective after brain anoxia, ischemia, and reperfusion. Wow, I did not know that. That's good stuff. No problem. I kind of just even went over it as like, oh, okay, it's not a big deal. You know, I was like, oh, you can really withdraw them and make their heart even sicker. Like I. I do have to say, I was like focused really on that um, and kind of just glanced over this whole neuroprotection thing. All right. Thanks for that, Sam. Uh, in 2022, uh, Maryland Medical Protocol was updated to differentiate the medications to be administered during PEA arrest as well as an asystole arrest. As part of that, calcium chloride 
and sodium bicarbonate were labeled to only be utilized for a PEA arrest. That's different than what we've been practicing for decades in terms of administering sodium bicarb, calcium for prolonged downtimes, patients in asystole, or for a multitude of reasons, right? So let's walk, walk into and talk about the uh, sodium bicarb administration during cardiac arrest. Sure. So it's sodium bicarbonate, right? We were taught in the past to just, well, they're dead. We can't hurt them anymore. Just give it to give it, see what you get. And that's not true. We could actually be hurting these patients. So with bicarb, right, there are a few human studies uh, that have examined benefits of administration of cardiac arrest. A lot of these studies you'll see regarding this are dated prior to 1990. So very long time ago. The AHA no longer recommends its use on ACLS and that's been out since 2010, right? So we have to have a specific reason why we're giving it, not just give it because it's 20, 30 minutes in. So the evidence for acidosis being harmful is primarily based on in vitro studies. Clinical data shows acidosis may not actually be as harmful as we think. So fail to show benefit of use according to the research. So going to more recent years, uh, published data from NCBI of administration during cardiac arrest can actually have uh, deleterious effects. So we believe it can reduce cardiac output. So increased blood and tissue CO2 concentration leads to worsening of acidosis in major organs. You can shift the oxygen disassociation curve to the left. You can have increased intracellular acidosis. So this creates excessive uh, CO2, which must be quickly exhaled. If a patient is not adequately ventilating, they will become more acidotic when given sodium bicarb therapy. So you kind of think you're doing the right thing. Hey, we're going to shift them the other way. But if you're not managing that airway uh, ventilation correctly, it's actually coming back to where you started. Uh, if you think about it like that. Uh, also potential for hypernatremia and hyperosmolarity. So kind of just things down the road, not so much that affect us pre-hospitally, but uh, again, we're not the only uh, part of care for this patient if we get ROSC in transport. So moving on to ROSC, so depending on what study or article you read, uh, again, this is going for decades. So it seems you'll get increased ROSC rates, but not sustained ROSC rates, right? So we want to get that ROSC, deliver them to the ED, the ED stabilizes uh, them, and they go to the appropriate unit or lab to get what they need to get done delivering, you know, someone that has ROSC for 10, 20 minutes, but nothing ever comes of it, we're not doing much good for them. So decreases rate of survival to hospital discharge, not statistically significant uh, difference from survival to hospital discharge or good neurological outcome at one month. Decrease in survival with favorable neurological outcome, uh, no difference in survival rate. So as you can see, it's rep uh, repetitious. So over the last few years that it's really been looked at. It's the same thing over and over again. It's they're not making it a hospital discharge or they're having poor neurological outcome if they wind up making it. Uh, numerous observational studies of pediatric in-hospital cardiac arrest patients. Uh, there was uh, 4,877 patients showed significantly decreased rate of survival to hospital discharge. So I know we think a lot about adults with bicarb and that's the majority of cardiac arrests that pre-hospital in the emergency department sees. And now this actually looked at pediatrics and what do you know, decreased rate of survival. So it's, again, saying the same thing from different years, different studies, the same thing over and over uh, that it appears to be harmful. So overall, 
with sodium bicarbonate, not recommended in routine cardiac arrest. Again, you have to have a specific reason. And even then, we're not sure if there's potential for harm, if it just does nothing, or we are actually helping. So ongoing debate for decades, and it'll probably continue until there's more data and studies performed. So the HA recommends administration only when you have a potential medical benefit, or again, a specific reason due to little and no known benefit with potential for harm. So the two they harp on, uh, tricyclic antidepressant overdoses and hyperkalemia, and both are not routine. So these are very specific cases where you have to get very specific answers for uh, before you just start administering. Either way, right, same thing with the Narcan. The first thing we're going to do is, see, you know, high-performance CPR, BLS to ALS airway management, defibrillation if needed, vascular access, epi as our first-line medication with fluids. And then, hey, do we actually need the bicarb? Will it you know, help us? Do we have a TCA overdose or hyperkalemia? I think what we're up against here is that people do observe this increased chance of getting ROS when they give it. So people that run a lot of arrests are like, well, I can think back on times where I gave bicarb and I got ROSC. But what you're saying is that's transient when these people are not surviving to discharge. Correct. If they even make it past the ED to the ICU, but it appears they're not walking out of the hospital, which is what everyone wants at the end of the day. And it's like a feel-good method. Uh, well, we got ROSC, but you know, you go back two hours later with a new patient. It's like, uh, unfortunately, that patient expired and never made it past the ED. Let's do a couple of gray areas. So you're very clear if we have a known tricyclic <clears throat> overdose or known hyperkalemia, uh, example would be a dialysis patient who hasn't been to dialysis in a week or something like that, right? Um, let's say I have a patient who's uh, prescribed a tricyclic, but there's no evidence that they overdosed and now they're in arrest. So it's a, that is, it's a gray area and it's going to be patient dependent, situation dependent. So do you truly believe that they overdosed? Um, you know, if you have a medication vial that was filled, you know, two months ago and there was only enough prescription, you know, for a month, do you really think they overdosed, uh, right now? It, it's hard to say if you truly believe that there is a actual overdose that you have good evidence on scene for it, then it would be warranted. But to just give it to be like, well, they're on one TCA, let's just do it to do it. Uh, that's not going to be warranted. Okay. You get an organized rhythm during the arrest, but it's still a PEA and the complexes are super wide or you have peak T waves that in your experience look like hyperkalemia. So you're in a PEA, you're still in arrest. Do you give bicarb in that case? I'll touch on hyperkalemia first. So for hyperkalemia, bicarb is not a first line anyway. That would be calcium. Um, so the bicarb wouldn't be coming first. TCA overdose. If I'm thinking that it's possibly that, I really I'm going to print out that you know lead to and get a good rhythm. If I think it's kind of wide and bizarre and slow looking, um, that would be more evidence uh, in that case for a you know TCA or potential TCA overdose. Okay. So I think the protocol is actually worded well. If the cause of the arrest is, no, is a known acidosis, then we would give bicarb during the arrest, right? But we can't uh, presume or know that the person is acidotic after a prolonged resuscitation and then give bicarb, right? It has to be the cause of the arrest. Correct. So we have to think it's tricyclic antidepressant or hyperkalemia 
remember that acidosis, they've found that it's not as bad as they once thought. But again, if you start off acidotic, hey, here's an amp of bicarb, we swing, uh, swing the pendulum the other way. If you're not ventilating them correctly, uh, this will create that excess uh, carbon dioxide and they'll go back to becoming acidotic. So pretty much you're back to where you started. Well, the protocol says if you have a known acidosis as the cause of the arrest, like you, I, I guess you walk into a, a nursing home and you have somebody who's not an, in arrest, but you have their labs in front of you and their pH is six or 7.1 or something, right? And then that person codes. Bicarb is indicated by protocol in that case. Yes, I mean, that's also very specific if you wind up looking at the lab values. So I think the indications are pretty clear and specific um, <clears throat> as laid out in the Maryland State Protocol. Uh, I think it's a little bit of a mindset change or a cultural change, if you will. Um, I almost feel like using the analogy of a softball, sometimes we just lob the softball at the situation because it's easier to hit and let's see what happens versus being more precise and trying to hit like a golf ball. Um, so I think that the take home point, especially from a systemic standpoint, is that we need to have um, <clears throat> a clear and specific uh, indication and reason for giving it. Uh, of course, there's going to be you know gray areas that we kind of have to logically work you know our way through. But as long as it's deliberate, defendable, and communicated, then you know I think we can move forward with the treatment protocol. I guess to wrap things up, right? Just because clinicians may have anecdotal evidence that sodium bicarb has worked for them in the past in order to achieve ROSC. There's no empirical evidence that giving bicarbonate to every cardiac arrest simply just because of downtime or suspicion, unless you 100% know for a fact the cause of the arrest doesn't result in outcomes that are positive for the patient, as opposed to, hey, we gave bicarb, two minutes later, we got ROSC, we transferred them to the hospital, and they ended up uh, re-arresting and passing away there. I think that's a good take-home point, Wes. All right, so that was some good discussion on sodium bicarbonate that hopefully cleared up some of the concerns that the clinicians have out in the field regarding when to give it, when not to give it. Uh, the next medication that we touched on briefly was calcium chloride. Once again, uh, 2022 Maryland Medical Protocol updated the guidance for the administration of calcium chloride during cardiac arrest. Uh, Sam, if you want to touch on some of the studies uh, from recent uh, as it relates to the administration of calcium chloride during cardiac arrest and why Maryland made that change to uh, modify when and when not to give it. Yes. So recent trial from 2021, uh, the COCA trial, and they did the trial and then they actually did a follow-up. Um, so COCA, C-O-C-A. So it was the uh, calcium, calcium and out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. So from, the, uh, from that, you have calcium versus saline on ROSC in adult out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. So it's a double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized clinical trial of 391 patients, and this came from Denmark. So it's calcium or placebo, and it was a max of two doses. So what was excluded? Uh, pregnancy, trauma arrest, prior enrollment, administration of epinephrine outside of the trial, and a clinical indication, so hypocalcemia or hyperkalemia. So this excluded when we would have an indication. So this was kind of for most arrests, the average arrest of, you know, I have my nursing home patient, you know, I have someone that went down in their private residence because of an MI uh, or sepsis, uh, et cetera. 
So I thought that was a good note to take home. So what it showed, 19% of ROSC after calcium versus 27% ROSC after placebo. So this favors the placebo group, but did not significantly improve ROSC. So it's not supported to just give calcium to give it again, just like sodium bicarb, you have to have a specific indication. So the outcomes were sustained ROSC and survival at 30 days. The conclusion, again, trend towards causing harm compared to placebo, but may still benefit certain populations. So these certain populations with calcium would be hyperkalemia, and this would be medication number one, bicarb would be number two, um, and your calcium channel blocker overdoses uh, when you get into your tox. So again, uh, with bicarb with calcium, still unclear and more studies and evidence are needed, may still have benefit for specific administration when you have potential medical benefit. Again, these aren't the everyday codes. You have to have evidence that yes, I have uh, for calcium uh, hyperkalemia or calcium channel blocker overdose. Can't just give it to give it uh, because it does not favor ROSC, especially compared to the placebo. So we touched on uh, the administration of sodium bicarbonate and calcium as indications during a wide complex PEA arrest. Let's talk about some ECG changes that we would see in that PEA that would help point us in the right direction in terms of determining uh, whether that medication would be indicated. So for hyperkalemia, right, your classic, you have peak tented T waves. Uh, eventually your P waves will widen and flatten. Your PR segments lengthen. P waves eventually disappear. You get a prolonged QRS interval. That leads to this wide and bizarre QRS morphology and eventually to a sine wave. So that's kind of just how it progresses uh, or can potentially progress from your basic, just your tented T waves to this wide and bizarre sine wave. So when you have this patient in front of you, right, print out the rhythm, you're gonna continue with standard ACLS measures, evaluate it, say, hey, what do I have? Do I have other evidence as well that this is hyperkalemia with the story that now calcium and then bicarb would be indicated? Are there any EKG changes that you would see during a TCA overdose that may be different? Yes. Tricyclic antidepressant uh, overdoses, you can have tachycardia, uh, you can have QTC and QRS prolongation. Uh, this can lead to your ventricular dysrhythmias. So your QRS complex uh, is greater than 160 milliseconds. It's kind of predictive of this. You can have that Brugada-like EKG finding and you'll have electrolyte abnormalities as well with that. And lastly, what, what kind of EKG changes would we see during a calcium channel blocker overdose? So the common findings, you can have bradycardia, right? This can be sinus or junctional in nature. You can have bundle branch blocks. You can have uh, AV blocks. And then again, you can have that QRS QTC prolongation. So there are some uh, similarities between these, but also differences. And again, this is going to, uh, you're going to gather all your information up and say, hey, which one do I have? And then administer the appropriate medication. Takeaway point is to have uh, an indication and a strong index of suspicion. Don't just give to give, bingo. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, I'll add in there that ha having done this for many, many years, things change. And it's, if you're not keeping up on, the changes that come out through protocol and the protocol updates and keeping up on science, we revert to what we learned in paramedic class and through our initial training. So uh, 
take that for what it's worth and really stay in tune to uh, to those changes as they come out, right? Thank you guys for the discussion. Any closing thoughts before we go? We'll wrap it there. Thanks for listening. Take care, everybody. So they haven't been yeah. dialysized in a while. Uh, when I slap them on- Are you the saying dialysized? Dialysized, yeah. Yeah, it's a word. It's a word, <laughs> look it up. <laughs> It's a Hagerstown word. We got to say dialyzed <laughs> or people are going to turn us, turn us off. <laughs>